welcome to Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Ali. This episode, we're going to try something new, like a new format for the show. In addition to talking about a Filipino food book, whether it's a cookbook or a reference book, what I'm going to do is invite a couple people over to my place to chat, to eat, and enjoy Filipino food in the ways that the foods that we're going to be talking about are really meant to be experienced. To be honest, there aren't any hard and fast rules for what I'm gonna call Nastasha's Filipino dinner parties, except to come hungry, come excited, be yourself and ready to learn. It is gonna be a lot of fun. So we're gonna start off this episode by talking about pulutan. Basically, that's the food that we Filipinos typically eat with a beverage. They aren't strictly bar snacks, because as we talk about later on, bars in the Western sense aren't really where most Filipinos go to drink, at least back home in the Philippines. Having done my fair share of drinking, I know that Filipinos do enjoy typically drinking at home and in places where people can gather with other people, like the neighborhood basketball court, or a sari-sari store, or even somebody's garage. When I was in high school, we'd often spend Friday nights underneath this tin-roofed garage at my friend's house. We'd squish in between her parents' car, the water tank, her mother's gigantic plants, and usually a couple clothes hanging on a line to dry. The point of having pollutant for me is that it's an integral part of the inuman, or overall drinking session. The thing that keeps people fed, and by extension, the party, pretty much going. Plus, pollutant is really just this entire category of recipes that are pretty easy to make. They're economical, they're super tasty, and literally, they are all over the Philippines at the tricycle terminals, the jeepney terminals, basically anywhere where people are out on the street. And this kind of cooking totally aligns with my current eating well on a dime situation here in Toronto. I promise you're gonna be surprised at least once with the kinds of foods and ingredients that eventually turn into really great pollutant. Let's get into things and kick off this pollutant session with our interview with Marvin Capultos. Marvin is the author of Pollutan, Filipino Barbites, Snacks, and Appetizers. This is a book that came out last year in the fall. I've wanted to chat with Marvin for the longest time. His Adobarod cookbook, which has always been on my shelf since I got it maybe six or seven years ago, it's always got a place in my kitchen now. And, uh, as soon as I read 
Paluta and Filipino bar bites, snacks, and appetizers, I knew that I wanted to ask him more about how that cookbook came to be and really about how the recipes that are in there translate into what people who live outside of the country can do in terms of experiencing a real Palutan session. So as soon as I got my hands on it, I knew I had to make a few of the recipes and invite people over to try them. Let's get to it. And it's essentially uh, a book of Filipino drinking food, mainly appetizers, finger foods, and things of that nature that go great with an alcoholic beverage. M mainly beer. I, I don't want to pigeonhole Filipinos as being mainly beer drinkers, but, but we are. At least I am, and at least my, my family is. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was the approach I took with this cookbook, just... You know, hopefully some traditional Filipino appetizers and some maybe more contemporary take or a filam take on some things. Or That's what I wanted to do with this cookbook. The thing that I really love about it is that it, it does kind of put that, um, that spirit behind Pulutan and the idea behind Pulutan uh, front and center. And uh, I do know that you talk about it at the beginning of the book as well. So... Like for me and for the people I grew up with, Pulutan really meant a sort of a gathering, right? And it's very much uh, an opportunity for you to like hang out with people uh, at the core and enjoy some food and drinking with it. So for you, like what does it mean for you to have people over for, for that type of like cooking or eating experience? It's always been about just being with family and friends. And... And the, the food and drink just happens to be that thing that just brings us together and, and keeps us in when whatever vicinity we are eating and drinking. For me, growing up, I mean, we had birthday parties and family reunions and things like that. But sometimes people just came over to hang out and somebody would cook some food and people would start drinking. And even I have like these early memories as a kid of my great uncles and my great uncle Nick, he would have like a, a card game going on in the garage and he'd have a bunch of his buddies over and I would just be a kid like playing with my cousins in the driveway. And I didn't, you know, at the time I didn't know what Pluton was. It was just, Oh, my uncle's drinking with his buddies and they're playing cards. But you know, my, my auntie would bring food into the garage from the kitchen inside and there would always be like little bites while the, these grown men were playing cards and laughing and arguing and, you know, things that happened while gambling. I just remember lots of whiskey and lots of Budweiser. And that, those are my early memories of that kind of setting where it was just friends having fun, eating and drinking. And not, not necessarily in a party, situ like a birthday party situation, if that makes any sense. That is something that I think is, is quite unique to Filipino culture is that you also talk about, you know, our drinking food not being restricted to something you would have like after 5 p.m. or like after work drinks sort of thing. And it doesn't always have to be 
you know, for a big birthday celebration, but it's also kind of every day. And um, for people who grew up in the Philippines, like myself included, you know, sometimes it would just be going to the corner store and you would have some barbecue grilling, you know, and then you would get a couple of beers and chat with like your neighbors and stuff like that. And so it can be kind of casual too. Yeah, it, it is. And it can be very casual and just an everyday thing, which I think is cool about that part of our culinary culture and our culture in general. I have this quote in my cookbook by Doreen Fernandez. I'm paraphrasing. It says something like, you don't need to drink to enjoy gluten, but definitely helps, I guess. It's, it's not word for word what she says. That's kind of the spirit behind what she was trying to say. Like, I don't want it to sound like we're just a bunch of, you know, alcoholics, but it's just a part of uh, being together and having that camaraderie. So for those listening, I'll repeat the quote here. Doreen Fernandez, who's the premier food historian from the Philippines, the quote that, that Marvin's are referring to is, true celebration is of the spirit and needs no spirits to make it lively. That's it. <laughs> and that's really, I guess, at the heart of it, what is very infectious about the recipes you have in your book, because you're right, they're not that fussy. You know, there's chicken wings, which is almost, I'd like to say, a very universal bar food. And um, in the process of sort of, I guess, narrowing down or even testing the recipes that you wanted to, to appear in the book, what were two or three favorite things that you learned about how these flavors come about? Was there anything that came up while you were doing the recipe testing that you were like, now that you know how to do it in this particular way, it's going to be like the way you're going to do this particular snack for like a very long time? The one that jumps out to me is my Papa Itan recipe, which is a very Ilocano bitter dish, typical Palutan in the northern part of the Philippines. And for those listeners that don't know it, it's typically made with different cuts of beef or goat, tripe and livers and different cuts of meat. And it's made bitter with bile, the bile of the animal, which is which not only do Filipinos use, but it's used all across Southeast Asia. It's, to the uninitiated, it sounds it might sound crazy, but it's not. It's That bitter profile is something that is one of the things I like and love about Filipino food. And knowing that there would be, there would be some people who would be averse to using bile, or also knowing that bile wouldn't be easy to find, although you could, I mean, it is, it is generally easy to find in, in a lot of Asian markets, at least here in California. But I, I wanted to see if I could come close to replicating that bitterness. And I found that by using bitter uh, IPA beer, India Pale Ale beer, you could still get that bitter flavor without the bile. So, and, and that was a good discovery for me. Like, and it was a fun experiment for me. So it's funny you know, in talking with other people, other Filipino cooks, I've had people say, oh, it's not really Papa Itan without the bile. And I agree. I, 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 it's not to say that I'm not going to use bile going forward, but just discovering that I could get that flavor profile was kind of, you know, a fun thing for me to discover in recipe testing. And I love that that is something you do focus on quite a bit as well, not just with this cookbook, but even on your blog, even with the Adobo Road cookbook. It's really sort of the flavor profile that we want to be able to highlight with the dishes, I guess. 
And um, that's kind of a good segue to what Cicerone is. That am I pronouncing that right, Cicerone? Yeah, that, that's right, Cicerone. Um, yeah, because I think that's really interesting. I don't know how many of the folks listening are familiar with it, but if you could describe what that is and how that plays into your cooking and into the recipes in the book, particularly. Well, basically, there's this Cicerone program. The, the way I like to describe it and the way other people in the beer industry like to describe it is to compare it to the sommelier program for those that drink wine. So Cicerone is basically a beer sommelier. And like the sommelier program, there are different levels of Cicerone. First level is just a certified beer server, and then there's a certified Cicerone, and then an advanced Cicerone, and a master Cicerone. And similar to how there's like master sommeliers and things like that. So after I wrote my first book, I knew that Pluton was something I wanted to focus on more. Should I ever have another opportunity to write another cookbook? Because I, I like bar food and I like to drink. And I've always been interested in craft beer and different types of beer. And so I decided... It would be cool if I could go through the process. And then in order to become a Cicerone, you have to take this huge test, very difficult test, and uh, do all these tastings and be able to identify different beer flavors. I don't want to bore everybody, but I, I, wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to get that certification just to kind of show that Filipino flavors are just as great with you know, the world of beers as any other cuisine. And, and that was important for me to show. Because, you know, Filipino food is typically tied to San Miguel beer, and, and which is great. I, I like San Miguel, too. But in order for us to, you know, expand introducing more people to Filipino food, you know, and different chefs highlight... So what Marvin's basically saying is that as more professional chefs, and by extension, home cooks like you and me, learn about foods that Filipino people have enjoyed for ages. It's pretty natural to want to know how to prepare those foods so that you can enjoy them, even if you're far away from a neighborhood street food stall in the Philippines. To my mind, if you swap the hockey for basketball on TV, who says you can't have pollutant night in Canada? In that sense, it's really kind of more like, I guess, an education about the different flavor profiles in a beer. Reading that in Pulutan was very educational, and I can imagine that that is, I guess, the appeal for you as well in sort of teasing out those different combinations and flavors that are highlighted with those different kinds of beers. Yeah, it definitely was the fun part about writing this cookbook was just, I have some experience with Filipino flavors, I like to think. So it was fun just to see how I could match that with different beer flavors, with different beer styles in different parts of the world. It was definitely enjoyable and eye-opening. And also, I just want to say that they're just suggestions. Everybody's palate is different. So I want to encourage people to not follow my suggestions to a T. I mean, of course, 
follow them if you'd like, but also, you know, experiment on your own and try different beers with different Filipino foods and, and see how they like it. I was going to say one of my favorite recipes in the book, uh, just because I have a personal affiliation to gin palms, <laughs> your gin pomelo and shrimp cocktail, which is a really nice sort of um, like it's it's kinilaw. It's a version of kinilaw where the, the seafood, the shrimp is cooked in the citrus. And I thought that was a really fun way of sort of bringing that technique into an, a new way of like. Yeah. And it, it was one of those recipes where it just kind of, clicked and made sense you know i have a, a gin palm cocktail recipe and then i knew i wanted to make some sort of shrimp kinilau and, and then it just made sense to, to use the pomelos in there and then it just kind of evolved from that so i'm glad you liked it was really when I moved out of, of my parents house at like 21 that was really my first sort of uh, I got thrown into the deep water of like okay if you really miss Filipino food if you miss the tastes and the flavors of what you love eating you're gonna have to cook it yourself and you're gonna have to sort of explore and learn and oh definitely and I, I could definitely relate to that I mean you know, I, I, I grew up with Filipino food all the time. As somebody who was who was born here in the States, you know, my, my mom still cooked it. And I didn't realize, I took it for granted until I moved away. It was similar to how you were saying, I, I, I missed it. I missed that taste. And then that's what led me on this journey of learning how to cook. And it's, it's funny, you know, you, you want to learn to cook the food that you grew up with but then there's so many other different variations beyond what your mom cooked. And, th and that's, that's the cool thing, you know? Like you, you could learn how to cook your mom's pinakbe, but then learning to cook like a, a Tagalog version of it or, or just another person's version of any Filipino dish. It's like you keep moving up in this Filipino food ladder, I, I, I guess. And the higher you get, the more experience you have and the more you gain familiarity with the different varieties. And, and that's, it's so fun. It's, it's great. I guess it's sort of about establishing a, a comfort level to for those tastes. I wasn't the kid who like hung around my Lola in the kitchen and like pestered her to like teach me stuff. Like I didn't really have much of an interest in cooking until I became older. And I guess because I'm really interested in also just what happens when you cook food, like the different techniques that you can apply, how you apply heat to a certain ingredient or dish is definitely going to change what the end result is and the texture of it, uh, how you can impart different flavors and stuff like that. And Filipino cuisine is such a great example of starting with those sometimes very basic ingredients. Um, but like many other cultures, if you start with a really good thing uh, and you treat it well and you have a few, you know, little things like for us, the vinegars, 
when Amy Bessa and Chef Rami were out west, you attended one of their cooking demonstrations, right? Where they had the different ingredients from the Philippines. Yeah, and they had brought a mulberry vinegar, which blew my mind. And, and Chef Rami had made it, I, I believe, if I remember correctly. But it was cool how he used it to make something as basic as an adobo to be so different and to have a, a different flavor profile with just the change in vinegar. You, you know, the more you make Filipino food and the more you cook certain dishes, the more you want to make something your own. And that's, that's kind of an evolution in, in all of us, you know. We take a, a very basic recipe that we might have gotten from our mother or our Lola, and then just based on geography and availability of ingredients, it slowly changes to suit what we like, and it becomes our own dish. So it's, it's definitely a cool thing. Even now as, as a father, it sounds weird saying this, but you know, I like to take comfort in knowing that someday, hopefully, my kids will take one of my dishes that I took from my mom and make it their own. And it's just this continuing evolution of, of our culture and our cuisine. That sort of desire to want to improve and tweak things a little bit is really exciting because just going back to the chicken wings, your uh, recipe for hot wings with fish sauce and calamansi caramel sounds like such a winning flavor combination. And um, that sounds like an example of like really nailing how to, to do chicken wings, right? <laughs> and then kind of putting your own spin on it and uh, seeing how that turns out and maybe even jumping off from there and doing a different version of it uh, with a different citrus or, you know, some, some other tiny tweak. Yeah, definitely. And I, I had reservations because I have another chicken wing recipe in my first cookbook. And it's funny, this is kind of an evolution or a, a tweak to that one, just using a different glaze with different ingredients, you know, using citrus instead of vinegar. And they're completely different wings, but it's funny you, you bring that up because, yeah, that's a good example of, you know, tweaking a recipe and making it completely different with just some changes in, in ingredients. Like you were saying, that mulberry vinegar kind of like blew your mind. It's like, wow, I can't believe that um, you can get so much depth of flavor and that mulberries even existed in the Philippines. For me, it was the coconut products that were really kind of mind-blowing too because for people who are really keen to try these different tweaks and experiment with the Filipino dishes that they already have a, a penchant or a taste for, and knowing that those kinds of ingredients exist is kind of exciting because like if we can start demanding it a little bit more then maybe hopefully that'll uh, make its way you know outside of the Philippines and a lot more people will get to try uh, these these different ingredients that are again very unique and kind of speak to the flavors of the land and what Filipinos like to do with these base ingredients. Definitely and it's something I've seen over the years, because I remember way back when I had my blog, I wrote about Ilocano sea salt. It must have been over 10 years ago, like back in 2007, that I think X-Roads was, and I, and I believe X-Roads is still around. Uh, they're a company that imports sea salt from the Philippines, like really great flaky sea salt. And so, yeah, I, it would be so great to see these different 
indigenous products from the Philippines get that kind of demand. So I guess it's sort of a bit of a parting thought for us. Beyond the Pulutan cookbook and beyond the Adobo Road cookbook, what's the one thing that you kind of want to see in terms of how people take their Filipino culture and have that play out in their cooking and what they like to eat? Uh, just to not be afraid to share it and not be afraid if it's not as good as your mother's. When I, I started cooking Filipino food, I was always in my own head and worried, oh, what, what will other Filipinos think of this? What if this, they don't like my adobo? But ultimately, who cares? You know, I want us to stop comparing what we cook to what someone else cooks. We should base how good a Filipino dish is based on how it tastes rather than how it compares to some preconceived notion. Our own pride that we have is definitely spreading and taking our food to new levels. We're kind of moving away from that adobo comparison. So, you know, taste the dish and if it's good, it's good. I think it is personal for people. Whenever we talk about food, it's never just about what's in front of you or what you're preparing. It's always a gateway, I guess, to a lot of other things like about family. So I really like that that's, um, that's something that you believe in as well, is that you know there's no right or wrong if you, if you like how you cook a particular dish and it makes you happy, then go for it. <laughs> Welcome to the first of Nastasha's Filipino dinner parties. So after chatting with Marvin and getting a little more insight on the foods that become pollutant, I wanted to know whether this category of drinking food was something familiar to Filipinos who grew up in Canada. You'll have to listen to find out. One very snowy, wintry, stormy day in January. Like, I was so thankful these guys trooped it out. Jenna Lee Austria, Eric Tigley, Jason Sulit, and Justine Abigail Yu came over for Pollutant. So this month we are cooking from Pollutant. We've tried uh, the meatballs uh, from the book this evening, as well as the mushrooms with lemongrass. It's turned out pretty well so far. Um, but what really interested me about the book is just the concept. That there is a book specifically about pollutant recipes. Uh, so pollutant is drinking food. Lots of cultures have drinking food. Uh, Filipinos definitely have food that they like to pair with drinks. A lot of it is grilled or fried. 
Uh, and so this book is able to sort of translate some of those common Polutan recipes into things that you can cook in your kitchen, such as the Bicol Express meatballs that I made in my apartment in Toronto. Right now it is minus 20, <laughs> I believe, outside. So it's feeling very tropical inside right now. And so we're going to talk about Polutan this episode. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, we'll start from there. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Jenna Lee. Um, I'm a YA author, and I also run a workshop series called Filipino Talks in different school boards where I try to introduce Filipino culture to educators and do some different youth workshops with students. So, Palutan is one of my favorite words in Tagalog because it sounds literally like what it is, like a pollutant. It is junk food, and I, I just find that hilarious. It's, 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 it's so perfect. And um, when I think of pollutant, uh, I always think of, you know, a bunch of you know Filipinos around a really small table, like one bottle of beer, you're passing it around. And, you know, there's Isal, Quek Quek, um, Adidas, and Betamax. I always think of those kind of things that I think would probably scare off a lot of Canadians. <laughs> and um, it's, it's the kind of food that brings you together. And this is a word that I feel like other cultures should have too because I don't know any culture that drinks and then eats healthy food, <laughs> right? Everyone has like their poutine or, you know. Some I mean, in the Philippines, some of the really popular pollutant items are things like sisig, which is uh, pig's ears, cheeks, jowls, boiled and then grilled and then possibly fried with like an egg on top. It's personally one of my favorite things to eat, but the, I guess sort of the only- So then we talked about sisig for a while, how to cook it, why keeping a crisp texture to a sisig is everything. And about the one time I cooked a pig's ear sous vide for half a day and then finished them in a blazing hot cast iron skillet. I was really, really craving some serious old-school seasick that day, and it totally hit the spot. So it's not surprising that pigs are like at the top of the food chain when it comes to pollutant, and that we proved next. So my name is Eric. I'm a teacher here in Toronto, and I did a uh, couple of books. I like to make art, and I like to eat things. So that's why I'm here today. <laughs> and with pollutant, I... My only memory of Pulutan, I haven't been to the Philippines that often, but it was how it overrided everything else. Um, yeah, no, I'm from the province in Southern Leyte, and I remember when I landed and somebody was like, hey, you want some chicken? I'm like, sure. Then he just like, reached underneath their chair and killed the chicken. You know, <laughs> I was like, that type of, it's not like you're ordering off a menu. It's not anything of the sort. But I remember we were saving, yeah, extremely fresh. And, and you're in the, you just got off a plane, you're like, oh my, oh wow. <laughs> it's... But I remember we were saving pork for Christmas and, you know, on the way to Christmas, everybody sees their family, they start drinking. Mm-hmm. I remember we were saving one, just like one bowl of pork to cook for Christmas. But a couple of my cousins got drunk like two days before and then they cooked it that night, like three o'clock in the morning. And then they ate it and my mom was so like pissed off the next morning. But then their whole alibi was, oh, it was pulutan. Like, <laughs> what else were we supposed to do? Like... We needed to drink and eat, so we're all family, you know, what yours is mine. And it was, like, she obviously was upset by it, but then 
Yeah, yeah, it got a pass for some reason. So that's my only experience really with Bulutan. Like it's always kind of sacred. You know, you, when you're drinking, it's just what you have there to eat and it overrides everybody's authority. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> So my name's Jaysa. I'm an author and therapist, and I'm, I'm born and raised in Toronto. And I didn't have any cousins growing up. They didn't come to. They didn't immigrate until I was already in my 20s. So I actually never learned of the word or concept of pollutant until like a couple years ago. And I'm turning 40 this year. And so, um, and that's kind of why I'm like one of the reasons why I'm really inspired to learn more about Filipino food. And just connect with other Filipinos is because I only learned last year how food can be the most direct way to connect with the Philippines. And I was like, oh, right. And being born and raised in Toronto, Queen and Bathurst, I I didn't even know if a fruit or vegetable grew on a bush or a tree. Like I had never been to a farm until I was in my 20s. Like, And so it, so this is kind of like for me a way of um, still learning about myself and this like disconnect from the sense of who I really am. And so the, coming here today and just being with you guys is just this, you know, it's really helping me heal this part of me that's like, you know, I, I do feel like my soul chose to be Filipino in this lifetime. Why? Yeah, and I was really surprised today with what we ate that it could be really healthy and different. Because yeah. normally when I, so yeah. when I just started discovering Pulutan in the last couple of years, it's always deep fried. Tonight was kind of like inspiring that, okay, I could feel quite um, in line with my diet, whatever it may be, and desire to eat healthier and be doing Pulutan over wine. <laughs> I'm Justine, and I am the founder and editor of a new magazine called Living Hyphen, which is all about exploring the experiences of people who are living in between different cultures within the diaspora here in Canada. Um, yeah, so that's what I do, and I'm really relieved, actually, that Jaysa, you mentioned that you hadn't come, you hadn't come across the term polutan because when you were talking about the idea for this podcast, I was like, I don't know if I have anything to contribute, really. Because I, I was born in the Philippines and I lived there for four years, but I lived most of my life here in Canada and honestly have learned a lot about Filipino food, mostly from you, Nastasha. So that's like within the last year. So it's all very new to me. But as we're having this discussion, I'm realizing that Pulutan has always been a part of my life. I just didn't know the word for it necessarily. But, you know, so many Filipino fam jams growing up and you know, there's always karaoke, you're always drinking, and there's always, always food around, and, you know, you'll have dinner, and then you'll have drinks, and then the magic mic will come on, and all the titas will get on, and start singing, and then it's like round two of eating, and then round three of eating, and I guess I just didn't figure that as polutan specifically, but it totally is, and now it's cool that I have a language for it or that I have a word for it, which is really, really special. And yeah, now that I'm listening to everyone talk and it is so different from so many of my experiences growing up and, you know, partying here in Toronto, I went to U of T and went to a bunch of different parties. And now that I think about it, drinking and food for a lot of the parties that I went to were always very separate. You know, in university parties, I mean, I feel like they would have had food there, but it would have been 
either chips or like some cheese or something like that. But it was never part of the party. Like it was a side thing that was there. And then even outside of university, you know, when you go clubbing in the entertainment district, it's all just at the bar. You're all, you're just dancing and you're drinking. And then after you would go to Smoke's Poutinery or something. And that's the food portion. But it was never together. It was always very distinct from each other, which, yeah, is so different from a lot of Filipino family parties that I grew up going to. So it's funny. I just never thought about it in that way until now. Can I tell you a pet peeve? Yeah. (laughs) It's when people have parties and there's alcohol and all they have is like that little plate of um, vegetables. And it's like celery and carrots and the hummus. And you're like, no Filipino house would only serve that. There is no way you would leave, right? <laughs> or just just a fruit platter with the, all the grapes are off the, the vine at that point, right? Yeah. And there's a couple little like gross pieces of pineapple. And you're like... Well, we started to get a little tipsy, and we ended up talking about celebratory versus solitary drinking. I mean that in, like, how the experience itself is different. Whether you're celebratory drinking for, for example, like a birthday or a special occasion, versus solitary drinking, where you're having a quiet drink at the bar, maybe reading a book on a good night, or maybe mulling over your life choices on another night. I also talked about how one of the first things that I kind of learned how to shed my misconceptions of was this idea of going to a bar and spilling all your problems to a bartender. Maybe it's because that's all I saw on American TV and movies growing up, but the initial reaction I had here once I got to Canada was thinking, well, doesn't this person have anyone else to talk to? You end up spilling all your secrets to this stranger at the bar. That that kind of stuff was set aside and given a little bit more room for interpretation. And it's really just part of the process of understanding the situation and community that you live in now. Justine basically says what's on my mind pretty clearly. I thought of two things when you were talking about that. And I think a lot of it is rooted also in the difference between East and West and Eastern and Western cultures and how I don't know, in the East, it's very much like it takes a village, you know, and there's so much more emphasis on community and on family and creating those really embedded, sometimes too embedded uh, support systems, you know, whereas in the West, it's like there's just so much focus and emphasis and prioritizing around individualism and dealing with your problems on your own and having that kind of independence that I think lends itself to that kind of, you know, going to the bar and speaking to the bartender. And I don't know if I prefer any one way or the other. I guess it's because I grew up here that I can see how 
that can also be very liberating in a sense. And I've traveled a lot and it's similar, I think, in that when I'm traveling, I'm so much more open and I'm so much more like all the inhibitions go away and you go to a bar and you're just so much more open to talking to anyone and it kind of helps to not know the person and to be able to just layer shit <laughs> you know without having to think about oh who's gonna know or who's gonna who will this be relayed to and like all yeah like the two embeddedness of of uh the filipino culture yeah exactly that's why i said one of the reasons why i love living in toronto is because i love going to a random bar <laughs> nobody knows anything yeah, about exactly. me and i can just like There'll be, be no, no cheese mist. No cheese <laughs> I can just be who I want to be and just enjoy. My warmest thanks to Marvin Capultos for the interview on his book Polutan Filipino Barbites, Appetizers, and Street Eats. Last year was a pretty monumental one for Filipino cookbooks published in the U.S., and Polutan is definitely one you're going to want to cook from. Super huge thanks as well to Jenna Lee Austria, Eric Tigley, Chase Sulit, and Justine Abigail Yu for coming over to talk about Polutan. I promise it won't be the last. Most of us met through Pluma, a collective of Filipino writers, poets, and artists based here in Toronto. Please take a minute to learn about their work and visit the links in the show notes. Our theme music is by David Seste, segment music is by Eric and McGill, Podington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and Mackay Beats. Visit fma.org to listen to their tracks and more. Visit exploringfilipinokitchens.com for past episodes and a couple new tweaks to the website. And before our next episode airs, let me know what you think about this one. Maraming salamat and thank you for listening.